Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And good evening, I'm William Hosea. The uh, People's Tribune is an independent newspaper. They recently featured a series of observations on homelessness through the eyes of homeless residents. What follows are a few personal accounts from people in the California area. From Trudy, I've sat in the tent of a homeless family, brought dry socks, food, and the shoes off my husband's feet given to a young man of about 21. We were invited in. It had rained hard for days. The mutt was everywhere, as was the lack of a way to stay warm and clean. Dad lost his job. Mom was unable to work due to health problems. Their son was cold and tired of tent living. They lost their house, lived in a motel, hoping work would happen. Money ran out, and the tent became their home. From Erica in Santa Cruz, there's a huge swell of hate toward people without housing. They are blamed for thefts, for garbage in the streets, for being aggressive. Funding for the day shelter was taken away last year, and so more people are in the streets. That is also a lack of choice. And finally, from E.K. Carson from Orange County, California, I spent a dozen years homeless. The last six plus years, I camped at the same spot and during that time lost all my stuff three times, some of it more times than I can recall. Every single time I lost it to the County Public Works during one of their sweeps. By law, uh, I could find my property stored safely and secured for 90 days, but this never happened. They threw my stuff into a compactor trash truck and destroyed it. How would you feel if someone had the power to decide if you got to keep your personal property or not? Regarding the plight of the homeless here in Bloomington, the following excerpts from a statement dated Tuesday, December 10th were posted on Facebook from the office of the mayor. The city is concerned about the welfare of all our residents, regardless of their housing status. We are committed to the ideal that everyone should have a safe place to stay. Sleeping outdoors does not provide protection from the elements or adequate access to hygiene and sanitation facilities. It further read that last night, which was December the 9th, as they have been doing so for many weeks, the Bloomington uh, PD's downtown resource officers, social workers, and neighborhood specialists set, spent time at Seminary Park, reminding people of the no sleeping rule in city parks, which are closed from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m., or in public right-of-ways, and helping them find access to resources. A bus was provided to transport anyone who needed shelter to Wheeler Mission, and one person took the ride. Three others went to the Stride Center, the community's new, new crisis diversion center, and no one else opted for that assistance. If people left personal items behind as they left the park, BPD or the Bloomington Police Department collected these items and transferred them to parks operations. Everyone was given instructions about how to retrieve their belongings. The statement continues with, while collecting leftover items in the park last night, BPD found hundreds of needles and syringes not disposed of safely. 
used sharps should be immediately placed in a sharps disposal container, including the one provided at Seminary Park. Exposed sharps are dangerous to all using the park. This year alone, 1,796 needles have been picked up by park's maintenance staff, with an additional 675 discarded in the sharps container. By comparison, 252 needles were collected in 2019. And it goes further to state that together with nonprofit partners in the social services area, the city has and will continue to allocate significant resources and personnel to support people who are experiencing homelessness. The city will continue to meet with these partners and providers, as well as the local philanthropic leaders convened at, as the social services task force at the outset of the pandemic to develop additional options. Homelessness is an issue that requires the whole community. We always appreciate and welcome ideas on how to improve. We want to hear from you at mayor at bloomington.indiana.gov. Okay, enough of the uh, intro. To help us explore this sensitive topic further, we have gathered a number of individuals who are passionate about finding workable solutions for our vulnerable and marginalized citizens. We have with us Harry Collins and Mark Teller, both with the Bloomington Homeless Coalition, Abby Ang, a community organizer with the Monroe County Area Mutual Aid, and Beverly Callender Anderson, director of the uh, Community and Family Resources Department for the City of Bloomington. To everyone, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you, thank you, glad to be here. I'd like to start off uh, perhaps with some reactions from our guests, Abby and Mark. Um, and Harry. And, and Harry, uh, if you'll care to comment on, this, on the statement from the city of Bloomington. I'm, I'm homeless myself. I live in a tent and I've never seen any of what they just said. Yes, there was needles. But a lot of them was unpackaged, or not, they wasn't unpackaged, they was packaged up in boxes. And I know a lot of the people down there at that park, the seminary, I don't stay there my personal self, but they did not just come in and ask, they came in and destroyed the tents and drug people out of tents. And to further elaborate on that um, regarding the syringes, uh, the police does not differentiate between a used syringe and a packaged syringe waiting to be used. So a lot of those, to be honest with you, a lot of those syringes are what we call success stories. People doing their due diligence and trying to use clean needles. Uh, in an ideal world, sure, people wouldn't be needing to use needles at all. But unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world. And um, at the protest that we had a few days ago, I went item by item through that statement and called out as many lies as I had the emotional uh, capacity to do. He also stated that he, the mayor, was not aware that people were living in this, in this situation. He thought apparently that those tents were just being used during the day and people would leave. Uh, this is clearly not the case. And clearly, everybody knew it. Um, it's really, it's really a statement full of lies, unfortunately. Okay, Abby, um, your uh, reaction to the statement? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about the the description of all the needles and the syringes. I agree with what Harry and Mark have just said in the sense that 
that description definitely did a lot, I think, to or could stood a risk of contributing to this kind of demonization, I think, of people experiencing homelessness. So that was my concern when I was reading, um, especially since just even just looking at social media, the way people talk about people who are experiencing homelessness is is really quite really quite insensitive and lacking in empathy and people will look at that statement and point to it and say oh you know like all those people experiencing homelessness they're just drug addicts and all those ideas and so that was definitely a huge concern of mine um another point that i was thinking about is if some if i were um living in a park like putting myself in the shoes of someone who's experiencing homelessness um, and if, if a downtown social worker or even a police officer came up to me and said, hey, are you, are you um, sleeping here in the tents overnight? I would say no. Like, even if I were, I would say no, because I would, and just hope that they would leave me alone. I wouldn't tell, say, I wouldn't admit to staying overnight, if I, especially since it's against the rules to be in tents in parks overnight. I would, I would, I would absolutely lie. So I don't know um, why, or I wouldn't take much stock in, I guess, the truthfulness of that, especially if I were desperate and in a situation where I had, I felt, if I felt truly that there was, there was nowhere for me to stay. So, so if I hear you three correctly, you're not denying that needles were not present. Uh, some were packaged, some were definitely not. And Abby, you're saying that if you were if putting yourself in their shoes, if you were approached by a resource officer or someone from the city representing the city or someone who was trying to offer assistance, you would say that, no, I'm not sleeping there overnight. Um, and um, you would just want to be left alone. And that's sort of what I kind of heard from, uh, from Mark and Harry. Um, we have with us, as we mentioned, Beverly Calendar Anderson from the city of Bloomington. And um, she's been with the city for years and is uh, well able to perhaps reply to some of your comments in reaction to the statement. Uh, and not to put her on the spot, she, she is an individual who does have her own opinions and we know that, but also she does represent the city. So Beverly, any thoughts about what was just shared by Abby, Mark and Harry? So sure, um, I think you know one one of the things I will say, and I, I do know that last Wednesday happened. Um, we're we're trying to figure out ways to to move forward, getting people the services that they need. But just to to talk about last Wednesday a little bit, um, whether or not people were sleeping in the parks, we can only go by what is reported to us. I. I it's not my job to go and check. And so I don't, but I do depend on our resource officers, our police officers. I was told, and I will say that I have been told, and I'm sure the mayor had been told, um, that people were there during the day, but that they're even, even some of the social service agency directors um, were guaranteeing us that people were not sleeping in the parks overnight. But be that as it may, even if they were, the parks close at 11 o'clock. And so from a, a perspective of what we have an obligation to do um, is to make sure that the parks are closed from 11 to five in the morning. Um, and so that was part of the reason that um, it happened. The presence of syringes in the park, whether um, clean or not, still pose a threat to someone, you know, if they're on the ground, I don't know where they were, 
I don't know if they were in boxes, but but I do know that our park staff has cleaned up um, syringes from the park, and I'm not going to say whether they were clean or not. Again, that's not something that I do, but um, and I and I do understand. I think it was Mark. I'm not sure who said. I think it was Mark that said that the syringes um, represent a success story. I've done this. Clarence said I've worked for the city for a long time. I've been with the city for 15 years. I've worked in this area for the last five and and have worked with folks from the Indiana Recovery Alliance and um, other agencies and understand the success story piece of it. But I also understand the threat that needle that syringes that are not properly disposed of can um, present to people coming through the park. So um, not to, and, and really this is not to defend or try to change anyone's mind. I think that um, there are rules in the park, like there are rules in the shelter, like there are rules everywhere else. And um, the city is responsible for enforcing those rules. So uh, Mark and Harry, there is obviously a bit of a divide between the homeless community, the advocates for the homeless community, and the city. Could part of this be a result of uh, communication? And the reason I say that is because you said there were needles used and, and unused. And the unused needles, uh, my immediate thought is they don't present as much of a threat as used needles. So again, could part of this come back to communication? And is that um, uh, kind of a jumping off spot for the city and for the homeless community to start working together on this issue? To be clear, used needles on the ground, even if you step on them, there has been zero data that says that you can contract anything from those needles. It's never happened. Nothing more. It's, I hope it never happens to anyone. But in the community, there's never been a case that that has happened. Okay? Um, it's quite... <laughs> It's quite disparaging to hear those those spins. Um, but in addition to that, it's it's not so much about communication. It's about cooperation. In and communication can be a part of that, but it must be it, it must be much more broad than just communication. If we're going to talk, we can talk all day long. But we need to see some action. We need to see we need to see help before things start getting destroyed and people start getting kicked out of their only homes and their only belongings being taken away. So I'm, I'm all for cooperation, but it, it's a two way street. And we're not seeing, we're not seeing that from the city right now. Uh, to, to sort of follow up on that response um, from Harry, right? That was Harry, no, no, Mark. This is Mark. That was Mark, sorry. Um, Okay, so we're not really debating whether or not there were needles there, packaged or unpackaged. The concern the city has is that for all safety, be they residents in that community or residents who don't reside in that community, walking on a needle, that's a risk that no one should have to take. Um, and that is a public park. And right now it is being um, primarily utilized by those who um, really have nowhere to go during the day, it appears, because I know that there's uh, support centers, uh, the Beacon uh, and other places do provide food and some other support services, clothing. But then during the day, I see personally people um, with their belongings, either on their back or whatever, going through the city, trying to find a place to maybe hang out until another time to eat or whatever. And I don't know, but gathering in that park, 
And if there are needles there, for all concern, that is, that's dangerous. Let me, Clarence, if I could, um, I just, I just want to say, I don't really want this to, to start focusing on syringes because syringes is not, I mean, syringes is, 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 was one of the issues, but was not the issue. Um, really, I think that we're looking at the health and safety of all Bloomington residents, needles being, I mean, syringes, I'm sorry, being only a part of that. Um, one of the things that we do have, uh, we have and, and, and despite how people may feel about any individual place and, and everybody has their different opinions, but there are um, at least two centers that have day services that people can go to if they like. Um, and that's Beacon uh, by way of Shalom Center and uh, Wheeler Mission. Now you can choose to go or, or people can choose not to go if they, if they want to. Um, and so, and then in the evening, Shalom offers overnight shelter, a friend's place offers overnight shelter. Uh, New Hope for Families has family shelter. Um, I know that there are or other organizations that um, have shelter, people who have presented as um, COVID positive or need to be quarantined because they're awaiting test results. There's an isolation shelter. So there are areas in the community um, that have been funded not only by the city, but the county, United Way, other, other organizations um, that provide safe spaces or safe from the element spaces for people to be. Um, and I think that that is, I know one of the, I'm, I'm sure one of the questions that we will get to eventually is what is the city doing or, or how can the city be uh, more helpful in this area? And I think to date that that's a lot of what the city has done is provided places where people can be warm and they can be dry and, and, and have a bed. Um, again, it's a person's choice whether or not they, they choose to go there and nobody can be forced to go there. But um, I just wanted to make reference to the fact that there are um, those locations. Yeah, I actually have something to say on all of this. Like I said, I'm homeless. I can't, I'm banned from Wheeler Mission. The Slum Center, a lot of the people down there at, at the park is banned from the Slum Center. And they're, the females are not allowed to go to Wheeler Mission because the Wheeler Mission females is not even open. And I want to elaborate on that. I know a person that was banned from a local shelter for having a package of raisins open at the wrong time. I know several people that were banned from local local shelters for not making their bed in time. And these people were wheelchair ridden, so they could not make their bed. They relied on other people to help them out to do so. Um, so it's a big grain of salt we got to take with it, that. Well, so let, let me say this, because, so one, the Shalom, I'm sorry, the Wheeler Women's Shelter will be open again tomorrow. They're, they're reopening tomorrow for the winter. So that's one thing. Um, and but the, I think if there are issues within the shelters um, that finding, I mean, and I don't know anything about the raisins or the, the making of the bed or, or whatever, but those are things that can be worked on with those people that are uh, providing funding for those shelters. And I, and I think a lot of times those funders don't know 
um, that a, that you can receive a ban for having a box of raisins open. And I and I don't know what the I don't know what the all of the rules are. I have been told that when people are banned, if they are banned, that there's a suspension and then there's a ban. When you are suspended, you're able to come back. When you are banned, that it's usually because of violence. Now, that's what we're being told from the shelter side. So I think if there is a breakdown in that, then those are some other issues that we can probably deal with and deal with with the agencies themselves. Uh, because, because I don't know that anybody thinks that, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know that anybody thinks that that the need to um, to be outside, especially in the temperatures like they were last night, is the ideal situation. And so, it, you know, and and I understand that that there are people that are there, but you know, it, it's not ideal. If we can make the shelters better, you know, if we can help make the shelter situation better, I think that's a conversation that can be had too. But I I will say that when I get complaints. I don't get complaints about, and I get lots of complaints, but I don't get a lot of complaints about the inner workings of the shelters. And so those are some voices that we have not heard that, you know, that what's happening in the shelter is not fair or people are being banned unjustly. Um, and, and, and truthfully, when we hear from it from the shelter side, it's that people are being banned because they are violent, either toward one another or toward staff. Um, but then I've also heard that there are times when people are suspended and they think that they're banned. And so it would even be, we would even be willing to utilize our social workers and resource officers, you know, just to clarify, are there bans or are there suspensions? I mean, we, there are resources that we have that, that we're willing to utilize to help. Um, so again, I, the things that, that, um, Harry and Mark have talked about, I've not heard of, but certainly things that, that I would not. Uh, have a problem checking into. Um, yeah, just second, jumping in here quickly to say that um, I think I really appreciate your perspective, Harry, and I um, I do think it would be interesting to talk one-on-one um, um, -on -one with people experiencing uh, in homelessness on what kind of barriers of entry there may be, even in um, even going to a shelter. Um, because like my perspective of this comes from managing the Monroe County Mutual Aid Group, which we try really hard to connect people with existing resources. Um, and so as not to reinvent the wheel, but also to help connect people to longer term types of support and help. And so um, the fact that there are, there are multiple shelters in town. And so it felt even for me, who's not experiencing homelessness and trying to help people, that there is kind of a bit of a learning curve involved in researching like all the different types of shelters and what kind of requirements they may have. Can you bring your dog to the shelter? Um, what other things to keep in mind? And so a lot of that information isn't always easily accessible. And it's sometimes information I find out from people who come and talk about their experiences with the shelters um, and, it's just stuff like that. If I could uh, ask uh, Mark or Harry a question on, and feel free, Abby, to join in. Uh, the Bloomington Homeless Coalition, what is the Bloomington Homeless Coalition? What's your purpose, mission? What have you done? And I understand uh, that you had perhaps some request demands for the city. So give us a genesis on what that is. We are trying to get a voice for the homeless 
because we are looked down on, criticized, just put down. A lot of us, we don't do drugs. I, I, I'm an ex-drug addict, but I stopped. We just want to try to better our lives and the city. I'm not saying it's all bad, but the city raises the rent. So a lot of us can't afford rent. Uh, me speaking for me personally, I can't work because I have been diagnosed with bipolar syndrome, PTSD and explosive temper disorder because I can, I drag somebody over a counter and seriously go back to prison. I did seven, I did seven convicted felons, felonies and 10 years in prison because of this. I can't control it. And there's a lot of them out here that has the mental problems that we, we can't get the help. I go through center stone, but a lot of them don't even, can't even get there. It's not we're trying to say that we know better. It's we're trying to make sure we are part of this community and we want help. And as far as all the other things that's being said, I've been out here for over a year this just this time. And I have not had one caseworker or anybody come up to me and ask me what I need to get my life better. I've seen them turn up their nose and go the other direction multiple times. I've not seen one of the city people actually that's supposed to be out here helping and getting the information to better us to actually do it. I've not seen them. I see them around, but I don't see them actually helping as far as well, what we call white shirts. I've seen them walk down the, walk down on a uh, switchyard and just literally walk by people that they know is homeless. Don't even speak to them. Don't even ask um, them, can, is there anything we can do? Anything to help you with? I'm sorry, Harry. Uh, Beverly, does the city provide any type of uh, resources to assist people with uh, mental illness at all? So the city is not a direct service provider. I mean, I think when you, when people, people sort of feel like the city should do a lot of things. The city doesn't own rental properties. So the city doesn't raise rents. If rents go up, it's because private landlords are doing that. And rents are high. Um, the city is trying to get into um, you know, working with landlords to provide affordable housing in some of their units. But so, so the, so the city doesn't provide mental health services. The city doesn't provide shelter. The city helps to fund those agencies that do. Um, and so whether it's Centerstone or, or Beacon or whatever, um, we're more of a funder, but as a funder, um, you know, there are some, I mean, we have, we're in communication with those agencies a lot. For instance, I talked about the isolation shelter and and I meet with shelter directors uh, two to three times a week just because we keep up with the isolation shelters. And in those conversations, then we can um, we can probably hear, I mean, hear what what they have to say and hear their opinions. Um, I know that some of our city council members have met, or at least one of our city council members has met with the Bloomington Homeless Coalition. 
um, that three, are you saying that three of the, okay, so three different city council members have met with the Bloomington Homeless Coalition. Um, and so that's, I mean, and, and that's great. And that's how we try to get information. But as far as providing direct services, that's not something we do either on the housing side or the service provision side, but we do try to keep up with what resources are available. Um, Mark, one of your demands that you've communicated is that the um, city of Bloomington divert money that was allocated to Wheeler Mission, but I think uh, we touched on that a minute ago, and since the women's shelter is opening up, that's no longer an issue. But another thing that you want funded is hotels for homeless is that correct yeah hotels for homeless is okay a hang, hang on hang on let, let me i just wanted to verify that but let me finish my question and then you can jump in there if a hotels for homeless comes to fruition how does that differ from the shelters that are already in existence the big thing with the shelters that are already in existence especially wheeler is the barriers that people have to jump over to get in there and the blatant discrimination they receive once they're there. Wheeler Mission is a mission, a Christian mission that wants you to pray and tells you that you're going to hell if you're gay. Now, if I'm gay and I'm homeless, I would very much prefer to live in a tent than put up with that bigotry. Uh, Hotels for Homeless does great work. They put people up in, home, in homes uh in uh hotel rooms that are homeless but you know they can only do so much they they only have so much funding and when we hear you know oh we offered all these people to be able to go to wheeler mission but only one person took it our reaction is of course only one person i'm i'm personally shocked that one person even took it um there's so many barriers to that place it it's not a solution and in the end we're not even talking about solutions we're talking about stop gaps Shelters are just stop gaps. And I think all of us will agree on that. Um, something more permanent for these folks is what's needed. Housing is what's needed. So what other solutions do you propose? We're looking into a lot of different things. Uh, everything from, it all boils, the, the obstacles all boil down to zoning um, that we've seen. Uh, we are looking into everything from 3D printing small houses, which would be approximately 10 grand a house, which is pretty cheap. Uh, and they can be built in one day, everything from that to, you know, repurposing an old Kmart for, for, for housing. Um, that's what really what it boils down to is housing, not, not whether private or, or public entities, uh, putting people up for three months at a time and then kicking them out. Like what friends place does. Um, it needs to be much more permanent, whatever it is. And we're all ears. To, to hear what the city would like to say about that. Don't those temporary solutions work for some people who may be down on their finances and resources uh, due to no fault of their own for a short period of time? So that does have some value, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I, oh, a Band-Aid a band -aid definitely can help with a small cut, but when you need stitches, you need stitches. Right, um, but what I'm saying is a like Band-Aid is what some people need. Fair enough. So, yeah, absolutely. So we, we don't want to diminish the value of those stopgap services. No, no. But in order to solve the, the issue, it needs to be a permanent solution for everyone. And that's not a permanent solution for everyone. As long as one person is still on the street, the problem isn't solved. So, and I will say, I do agree with Mark 
um, about shelters being a stopgap, not meant to be permanent housing. Um, it, it, it's, and they're emergency shelters. They're called emergency shelters for a reason. And housing is the issue. Housing in Bloomington is extraordinarily high. Um, and it's very difficult to find housing for someone you know, that can pay up to $400 a month. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a difficult thing. And so whether it's Wheeler or, Be or the Friends Place or Hotels for Homeless, it's still going to be just a stopgap and, and it's an expensive stopgap. Um, and so we do agree that, that housing is the issue. Um, how that housing happens, for instance, I know that uh, Beacon has Crawford one and two for people that have been chronically homeless that they've put people into uh, the, the program that they work on. It's called housing first. If you can get people housed first and then work on other issues that they have, um, that seems to be the most effective model right now. And, you know, but, it, but it's a matter of having that location, having the people that can provide supportive services once people are in those houses um, or in that in, in whatever the, the residence is. Um, but that's the but but yeah that's that's the model. That's the model that I know that um, New Hope for Families and Beacon work off of. Um, what I will say uh, and not to defend any shelter because I don't work for the shelters, but um, when it comes to the emergency shelter what i my understanding has been led to be is that wheeler is more low barrier than a friend's place and so as far as just getting in for an emergency overnight um, but once you're in the programs there is a religious component to it now i don't have any idea about their ideas about um, um sexual orientation or anything like that uh, and and what they do you know how they handle that but you know for emergency shelter it's easier I think sometimes to get into Wheeler than it is to uh, get into some of the others just, you know, because of their rules and guidelines. So, but again, agreeing, agreeing with Mark about, about the housing issue, I, I really think that's where we have commonality. I mean, we agree that that shelter is not the answer, that, that, that that's not a long-term answer and that's not a solution. It, it will, it, it may be for some people, William, like you said, you know, if there's somebody there in town, they run out of gas, they don't have any money, they're trying to get to, a, to another place, they may need a shelter for a night or two until they can figure it out. That's one situation, but, but then for someone who, you know, like Harry said, has been on the street for a year, you know, we need to find a place for people to be housed. And we, not, not we the city, um, as a city government, but we, this, this community, because it's going to take more than just government. It's going to take government. It's going to take the nonprofits. It's going to take the business community. It, you know, it's going to take us all to come together to take care of one another the way communities are supposed to. Yeah, and I also want to jump in here and say that um, Hotels for Homeless is itself also kind of a stopgap solution. And to echo kind of the expenses, um, I, I guess some of the issues that often arise with hotels is depending on the hotel that you're in, there are hotels that are less compassionate or less empathetic to people experiencing homelessness than, than maybe others. And 
Um, I know probably Katie and, and her um, colleague Lindsay can probably speak more to this, but just if sometimes if they think the room is too dirty, if the person after the person vacated, or even while they're still living there, then they slap all these fees. Like if you have too many guests visiting, then they slap some more fees on you. And so like there's, there are some um, additional kind of complications or expenses going on with, with hotel, with, with ho housing people in hotels that I do want to acknowledge. Um, but I definitely agree um, about housing as well. Like all of a sudden, just last week in the mutual aid group, I've gotten a bunch of requests from people who are looking for um, affordable three bedroom uh, rentals for large families that are also low income. And then all of a sudden this is coming through and I'm like, did something happen? Um, all of these people are all of a sudden, different families are like, hey, we really need help. All of a sudden, like we have to find affordable three bedroom um, housing by the beginning of the next year. And I'm like, oh my God, like what's, did something happen? Did something happen to an apartment complex? Um, but it really speaks to the kind of um, issues with affordability, especially for people who are um, who are low income and just trying to find places where they can rent. It's yeah. a real issue. Yeah. And I will say, you know, landlords in this area, because I mean, unfortunately, because you have students that can pay higher rents um, and they are reluctant to rent to people. I mean, I know that uh, I've talked to Forrest at Beacon, who has a program where they actually have the funding to pay for apartments. And he's told me that people won't rent to him um, for for people who have been homeless, you know, whether it's because they can't pass a background check or, or you know, I don't know all the rationale. And so, again, that's why I say when, when I say we need to get this entire community together, that's what I mean. Those landlords need to come to and they need to understand that they are part of the issue, if they have apartments sitting vacant that they won't rent to a nonprofit, you know, because of who's going to be inside, that becomes problematic. I mean, and so, um, and, I, and that's where, William, you were asking me about the city. That's where I see the city's role. I see the city as bringing these folks together and as, as convening these people and laying out what the issues are and their issues and their challenges, you know, and, and I'm not calling them problems because I don't think they're insurmountable. I think that they are things that we can get, get past and get through. And we need to stop, it, Abby used a, a really good word earlier, we need to stop demonizing one another, um, uh, homeless or housed. I mean, we, we need to stop demonizing one another and we need to start coming up with those solutions that can move us forward and that can get people housed that need housing you know and then on the other hand I you know we need to listen to these landlords and say why aren't you doing this and if it's because the property is not being maintained or or they have some other reasons then we need to be working with the people who are occupying the apartments to make sure you know that the property is maintained you know properly so I mean I I just I just think it's there are some there are some short-term really immediate issues then there are longer-term issues but we've got to work on them all at the same time I want to follow up with what you just said, but can you explain uh, to our listeners, and for those, I should have done this earlier, but for those who are just tuned in, we are having a conversation uh, with Harry Collins and Mark Teller with the Bloomington Homeless Coalition, Abby Ang, a community organizer with the Monroe County Area Mutual Aid, and Beverly Callender Anderson, Director of the Community and Family Resources Department for the City of Bloomington. Now to Beverly, I have a question concerning the Social Services Task Force. 
uh, it says that it's a, a, a conglomeration of partners, nonprofit partners, and social service agencies. How long has that been in existence, and what progress to date can you report out, or what do you see how their value in this conversation? What do you see them doing? So the social services task force is a product of COVID of the of the pandemic when um, the pandemic hit and. Um, we started to, well, we just realized that people who were low and no income, I mean, that that safety net that Bloomington had developed was gonna be the first one to burst. And so the social services task force was basically put together to make sure that that didn't happen. And so it was um, shelter providers, food providers, childcare providers um, that came together um, as a result of the pandemic to make sure that those services happened. And so the isolation shelter was one direct result of that. Um, there, the sheltered Middleway, Wheeler, Beacon, New Hope, yeah, came together, wrote a grant to the state, got a, got a grant because we knew that people who were unhoused, if they um, were not able to quarantine, if they had COVID, you know, then that would be dangerous, not only for them, but for the larger community. Uh, so that's been part, that's, that's been one of the successes in providing childcare. So, so to Abby's point about the housing, um, I'm sure that COVID has had an impact on this as well. And I know with shelters that it has because we had to, they had to um, reconfigure their internal arrangements to provide for social distancing. And so that decreased the amount of space that the shelters had because they had to keep people further apart. Um, so Beacon ended up going into another space or I'm sorry, a friend's place, ended up going into another space um, so that they could social, socially distance people. Wheeler did some remodeling so that they could socially distance people during the daytime and at night, I believe. Um, so, but I also think that the loss of the moratorium on rent, um, we will begin to see more people um, without housing, if if there are not some kinds of supports for for rent um, to, to for people who have lost their jobs, I mean, you had a lot of people that were either were already on the bubble or were working in service jobs that no longer can work on those jobs in restaurants or whatever because the rest some of the restaurants aren't even open anymore. So um, yeah, it's so so COVID has, has had a direct impact. Those but that, that social service task force was, was trying to keep that bubble from bursting for a lot of people. Um, and so they've done things with childcare and help rearrange childcare for essential workers, um, you know, your grocery store clerks, your nurses, doctors that had to be at work that didn't have a place for their kids to do e-learning. I mean, they did those kinds of things as well. Um, can someone articulate for me, and I, and I heard this concept expressed, the houseless bill of rights. What does what is that comprised of, and um, can someone comment on that? The houseless bill of rights. I think it was proposed, uh, trying to advocate a, a a certain amount of days of public notice before someone could be uh, removed from perhaps uh, a campsite or whatever. But Harry or Mark, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Go ahead. This is the first I've heard about it mm -hmm. on this, so I have no clue on that one. Well, I've at heard, the, you've heard it. Okay. I, I, I've, I've read a little bit about it. Um, 
it essentially boils down to giving homeless people the same rights that everybody else has. Um, if you're in a home and you're about to be evicted, they're required to let you know beforehand. And I believe it's a month that you have to prepare yourself. They put a sticker on your door. Um, but when you're unhoused, the police walk up, kick you out of your out of your tent, and destroy your tent. There's no there's no warning, um, and if it is, it, it typically amounts to a thinly veiled threat of a police officer saying, "Pack your bags, you're leaving soon." That's what we saw last week with police officers here. Um, you know, it's great. It's a it's a great idea. Um, I again, it's nothing that we we think of is is the end all be all solution to everything, but it's definitely a step in the right direction at least for dignity for these folks. I, I think Fox Boku mentioned the uh, Homeless Bill of Rights in a meeting, I think it was a city council meeting uh, yesterday. And I know Indianapolis tried to create a Homeless Bill of Rights back, I think in like 2014 to 2015. And it was basically an ordinance that established specific protections for the homeless and which kind of included like the right to move freely in public spaces like sidewalks and public buildings, right to equal treatment by city agencies, the right to emergency medical care, the right to reasonable expectation of privacy for their personal property, just as someone would have inside a home. Um, also provisions to make it more difficult to displace homeless people. Um, and so I don't know much about how that process itself, um, how, how that happened. I think the ACLU in um, Indianapolis was also involved, but I think it's worth looking into. Also, Mark, um, I, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to speak with Beverly before, but based on the conversation that we've had today, are you able to take, is there anything that you can take away from this conversation that uh, maybe uh, maybe lets you think that you can d do some work with the city uh, in the joint effort on behalf of the homeless community? The one word I want to talk about and use um, is optimism. Um, I'm, I'm, this, this leaves me optimistic. This leaves me hopeful also for cooperation. Um, last night during a meeting, um, with the uh, Public Safety Commission or whatever it's called, uh, chief, um, the chief of police mentioned if everybody could just get together and work together, you know, it would be a big step. And I think that's the, the one thing that he said that had merit behind it. If we all could, we, we do very much agree on the end. We just don't agree on the means to get to that end. And getting our brains together and, and brainstorming together is a step. It's not the solution, but it's a definitely a step towards that solution. So I'm optimistic now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. That's good. And William, I'll say, I mean, and I've not met Mark or Harry before, although I've heard of the Bloomington Co Homelessness Coalition. I've not been involved with them, but um, before we, we leave the space, if we could get, if I could get some contact information, I would appreciate that. And I think, you know, I, I like the words, you know, hopefulness and, and, and optimism. Um, because I think that we're going to have to hold on to that. It's, it's a, you know, and, and everybody on this call, I think knows it's a multi-layered challenge, you know, and, and like I said, you got the immediate and then you have the long-term and, and the big, the bigger picture. And, um, but, but yeah, I think you're, you're right, uh, Mark, about what the chief said, you know, get together and talk to one another and not talk at one another or not talk around one another. And, 
and, and seek to understand what people are saying and, and what our roles are. I mean, their government has a limited role, you know, agencies have a limited role, but if we can all stay in our lane and work cooperatively, um, I think that that would be, I like, she's <laughs> laughing at me, I said stay in my lane. But, um, but I, I, just, I just think that that will take us a long way. I think it'll take us a very long way. Can I, um, can I offer one thing? I, I noticed that a lot of times the public feels that it's the winter and the demands or the challenges to homeless people are greater in the winter than they are in the summer. But others have told me, well, no, the needs and demands in the summer are just as weighty in the summer months and the public would be surprised. That's what some people have to, to put up with. Uh, Mark, uh, Harry, can you comment on that? Yeah, I, you're absolutely correct. Um, it's more in the forefront of people's minds in the winter, but I can't tell you how many miles in this town I walked in the middle of the summer uh, handing out cold bottles of water uh, to people that really badly needed it. And it's not one of those situations when you really, you know, we all know Indiana winters versus summers. They're both, they're both pretty bad. Um, if you really need a cold bottle of water and you have to walk halfway across town to get to one of the services, you know, that walk could be the thing that pushes you over the edge. It's equally as bad during the summer. Um, and I, I, I know for myself, and, you know, pneumonia in the winter, of course, is, is, is prevalent. Um, I, know, I know for myself, um, seeing people uh, and hearing from people in the summer, they can't sleep because it's so hot out. There's no, you can light a fire or you can get a heater or you can do whatever you want in the winter to get warm. It's really tough to cool yourself off in the summer and that's heat stroke. And it does actually in. in the, in the winter time fires to, for these people that out here, they can't, if you light a fire to stay warm, you get the fire department called on you or you get people complaining because there's a fire in a wood, what I'm saying, in a woods, somebody's just trying to stay warm. In the summertime, you don't really have to worry about that as much because it's hot. And that's speaking from experience. Right. Would you would you say that uh, if the public wants to provide some immediate relief, especially in the winter, donations of blankets to uh, some of these agencies or service providers would be the route to go, or warm clothing? Uh, yes. An organization I work with, we we try to donate to the Beacon, so we try to rally those that are on uh, the internet to help us, say, stuff a vehicle with needed items, uh, clothing, clean, uh, barely used general items, so that we can donate. And then, and then, as we're sort of landing this conversation, um, I did want to ask Beverly from your from your vantage point: Are there communities across the nation that have confronted this successfully, or have Created partnerships, successful partnerships, and something that the city's researching, or anything to comment on that? So we're looking at, uh, of course, at other similar sized cities, cities across the country, cities across the world are are confronting um, their their challenges with people who don't have housing. I mean, it's not this is not unique to Bloomington, um, and you know our numbers are not huge compared to some other cities, but it doesn't matter if there's one person that doesn't have a place to stay, that's one person too many. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that that's what we're looking at. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's any city that has solved the issue. There are cities that have done various things, 
you know, Vegas has taken over parking lots and, and put sleeping bags in parking lots, but that's Vegas. It's not 19 degrees in Vegas, you know, so, um, so different cities have, have done different things. And of course, we're always talking to our counterparts in other cities, you know, and, and seeing how they've confronted their challenges. But yeah, this is, this is, a, this is an issue worldwide. It's not just us. Um, and COVID has not helped. Um, and it's and that's something that we're going to feel in months and months ahead, if not years, um, you know, the effect of COVID. Um, what I will say, and, and one of the things that I um, am to look on the optimistic side of it, and I've talked about the isolation shelter, there have been very, very low numbers of COVID in our unhoused community. Um, I don't know if it's the mask wearing or hygiene or the fact that a lot of people are outside or therefore, but um, yeah, I probably, we don't have the numbers of positives in, in, in the unhoused community is in single digits from last March. Like they've been very, very um, low and, 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 I'm, and I'm so glad about that. I'm glad about that, you know, because you know, especially in an, an encampment situation, one person could be a super spreader. And so because they've been low, we've not had that issue. And I, I hope uh, going forward that, you know, with policies for distribution of the vaccine, universal policies, not just germane to the city of Bloomington, uh, I, I hope somewhere in these policy set settings uh, or policy provisions, the homeless are not ignored. And I already had a conversation with someone about those who are incarcerated not being ignored. So, so this is this is this is important. Uh, Mark, uh, you had something to say? Yeah, um, I do want to. I do want to touch. It's nothing short of miraculous that we haven't had an outbreak amongst the unhoused community. But once I started working with them, I realized why they stay in their tents. They are are aware of what social distancing in is. Um, the destruction of those tents takes away a big part of that. Um, and another thing you, you touched on earlier is donations. Um, we, we, we hand out blankets. One of the big things that we do right now are focusing on right now are those hand warmers that you often see in like pack or camping packs and stuff like that for feet and for hands. That's one use though, you know, one does one hand for one night. So we're doing a lot of those. Um, I do want to mention cotton kills. If cotton, a blanket that's made of cotton gets wet. It is useless. Um, I mean, it's, I thought, you know, just bags. sleeping bags, um, tents, because many were A place to actually put the tent so that we don't have to worry about getting run off and getting moved would be a big help at this point. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, you know, as we close out, for those listening to this conversation, thanks for tuning in, number one. And during the season uh, where we, we tend to really want to look out for our fellow man and woman. Uh, Beverly, any thoughts on those who may have a desire to donate or uh, try to do something to help this? Any thoughts on that at all? Well, I mean, well, certainly all of the, um, the nonprofit agencies are still taking donations. Um, I, I can't speak about donating directly to uh, the Homelessness Coalition because I don't, I don't know. I'll let Mark speak or Harry speak about that. But um, Wheeler, Shalom, and Beacon, a friend's place, they're all taking donations. Um, um, New Hope, Middleway House, Amethyst House, you know, there, there are so many wonderful agencies in this community. I will say that if someone is going to donate, I would suggest that they call first because people have set up different protocols because of COVID. 
uh, that you can't just bring things in anymore. So just give them a call to see what they're taking. Um, but I, the, the hand warmers, I mean, Mark mentioned the hand warmers and that sounds like a great idea, which, um, you know, that, that can help a lot of people. They have them for feet too. So um, that sounds great. Um, well, if I could elaborate on that, one thing I do want to make sure that we harp about, we encourage people to not stop by and hand stuff off. We don't want to, if God forbid, there should be a spread or a super spreader in the community. We want to mitigate that. So we do have volunteers, BHD has volunteers, and we work closely with almost everybody that's been mentioned, um, getting these things to those, to those folks. Um, but, you know, stopping by Seminary Park with a truckload of stuff, um, just let us handle it. We'll, we'll, we'll take the danger for you. That's good to know, Mark. So, Mark, not to do William and, and Clarence's job, but I always do when I come on the show. Um, <laughs> is, is there a number or an email address where someone can contact the Bloomington Homeless Coalition? Right now, we're pointing everyone basically towards our Facebook page. Okay. Um, for monetary donations, we actually say Hotels for Homeless. Uh, I can't give Abby enough credit. She does a lot of work, so you can always reach out to the awesome. mutual groups. Yeah. Yeah, she does a lot in preventing homelessness, and, and that can't be said enough. Um, and Shalom is a beacon. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, time has, has uh, again crept up on us, and we want to thank Harry Collins and Mark Teller with the Bloomington Homeless Coalition, Abby Ang, a community organizer with the Monroe County Area Mutual Aid, and of course, uh, uh, Bring It On uh, contributor and formerly the voice of Bring It On, Beverly Calendar Anderson, Director of the Community and Family Resources Department for the City of Bloomington, for joining us to discuss the plight of homeless individuals in Bloomington and the recent action by the city to address and assist residents in the emerging tent community in Seminary Park. Bring It On has an open policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we want to hear it. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything with the African-American community and our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, bring it on at wfhb.org. And likewise, if you have an event or happening that we need to know about, send it to that email address, bring it on at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Cade Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium. Additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone, and we at Bring It On at WFHB want to extend you Merry Christmas and uh, season, happy Merry Seasons. Uh, just enjoy and be sure something. to tune in next something and tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.